Hello and welcome to Breakout, the podcast from The Great Escape. We're a collective of filmmakers, comic creators and story writers. And today we'll be talking about the idea of fixing it in post. Rich here, along with Felic, Ben, Mark and Chrissy. Hello. 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 Oh, bugger, fix in post. <laughs> um, first up, hello to all our listeners on TuneIn and Stitcher. We're glad to be here. As always, let's run down of what we've been up to this month. Me and Chrissy attended BristolCon this September, so hello if you saw us there. It was a great event, as always, and we hope to see you all again next year. Outside of that, I've been making angry noises at my computer after my sound editing software ate some of my work, resulting in me having to redo a lot of it. Hopefully it won't happen again, but um, when you're near the end of a project, it's always fingers crossed. Um, what about you, Mark? What are you up to? Well, I think the most important question to ask is there still free coffee at PostalCon? There is indeed. But do they bring the biscuits back this year? Because they weren't there last year. Um, I don't recall seeing the biscuits, but they did bring in a Lego room where you could just do Lego construction. There was also um, cake. Um, oh, yes, there was cake. Uh, jo, jo Hall was launching her um, new novel, Spark and Carousel, and um, there was a Spark and Carousel cake, which I had a piece of, and it was very nice. So. As you may have guessed, I was, I was not there this year because we had a clash. I was up in sunny Scotland. What were you doing in sunny Scotland? It wasn't that sunny, actually, to be honest. <laughs> but it was Scotland. In fact, Glasgow. Glasgow, MCM, Scotland Comic Con, where we took Hell by Media for my first ever trip to Scotland. And it went very well since uh, we had our best day ever and lots of people bought comics, which was very good. And linked to that, we are also running our Kickstarter, I might mention before, though by the time you hear this, it will hopefully have succeeded and Mandy Booker Monsters will be with you very soon. I think it will still be running though, I think, because uh, when are you, when's it due to close? Uh, three weeks from now. And this will be going out in just under three weeks, I think. Fantastic. So, so you still... It might be going out around about when it finishes, so, you know, one, well, either... either it's just finished or it's just finishing, so go and back it now. <laughs> yes, exactly. And if it has finished, you can just, you know, buy the book, which is just as awesome. So, Chrissy, <laughs> what have I you been up to? I, I've been making entrails with my glue gun. Mm. Yes, I uh, I needed to make a um, a set of prosthetic guts for an upcoming shoot uh, as part of uh, Gabriel Cushing at the Carnival of Sorrows. So uh, there you go. Spoiler alert: there is at one point somewhere during it some guts. Uh, <laughs> There's so, also a clown. <laughs> so I've been um, making this particular set of guts um, on basically no money, just because um, it, it's a one-off shot that's probably going to be on screen for a very short amount of time, and it's really not sort of something that I want to sort of uh, spend a huge amount of time on in this particular case. Uh, so I've been um, inventing new ways of making guts. Um, in this particular case, I've been using um, tubular finger bandage and stuffing to make the um, ropey parts. And uh, it's looking really good so far, so um, uh, that's that's happening. And uh, next time on Breakout, we'll be talking actually about um, the art of shoestring effects. Uh, that is creating convincing special effects uh, on on set special effects. I think particularly more than more than anything else, but um, on on virtually no money. So uh, you know things you find in the cupboard. What can you do with them? Let's make a movie. So um, I will be showing you and telling you more about um, our prosthetic guts um, next time. Well, this week um, I've come across a bit of a problem that uh, I'm in the process of solving, so hopefully on the next po podcast I'll be able to give you uh, a result of that. 
um, and that's trying to get our lights to work on a generator without flickering all the time, <laughs> um, which uh, is a problem probably a lot of uh, indie filmmakers come across. But um, I've got a few ideas of things that I could do to hopefully stop the terrible flickers. So um, tune in next time and hopefully I'll have a solution for you. How fast is the flicker? Um, oh, it varies. Because I'm just, oh, that's a shame. If I was thinking if it was a con- constant flicker, maybe you could attach one light to one generator, one light to another, and just, like, wait until you could get them in sync so they were sort of <laughs> cancelling each other out. That's a, yeah. Um. <laughs> I, I just that's think, a totally impractical solution. <laughs> to be honest, I think the terrible flicker sounds like a kind of Victorian disease or something. Oh, <laughs> you can't. She can't come outside, she's got a case of the terrible flickers. It's a bit like the vapours. Yeah, yes, but worse. (laughs) Either way, it's a problem that needs a solution. So there you go, tune in next week to find out how Ben deals with his terrible flickers. (laughs) Um, I've just been uh, working on the uh, uh, post-editing committed, which we were talking about last time. I'm not sure if we actually shot it last time... um, we're just uh, we're just about to shoot it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. we ended up shooting that, um, and I've just been editing it, and uh, not too much fixing in post, thankfully. But um, yeah, it's going. But okay. a bit. Um, I wouldn't want to go into it. <laughs> <laughs> so there may have been a little fixing in post going on. So. Speaking of that topic, a popular phrase amongst filmmakers is to fix it in post, or in other words, planning to rectify an issue that you're having on set in the post-production phase. Whilst it's becoming a bit of a joke phrase, should we really be asking whether fixing it in post is actually a good methodology? What can actually be achieved in post? And should people plan to be fixing it in post before they even get started? I think uh, the the first thing to do is is actually define what we mean by fix. I think uh, there's an inherent sort of concept there of something being broken or wrong before you know you know in order to be fixed i think uh, it's worth making a distinction between problems of those ilk that might arise unexpectedly and things that you plan for in advance um because there's there's a big difference between fixing a problem that you had that perhaps could have been fixed in another way and planning in advance to enhance a scene using you know post-production methods because mm. that's an entirely different sort of you know concept i think uh, i think our, our, our discussion today will probably focus mainly on the the former the the you know fixing problems rather than than, than choosing to enhance things yeah i suppose it's not fixing it in post if you've already planned to fix it in yeah post. exactly yeah <laughs> for me the phrase fix it in post uh, can be used in jest um, unless you're actually in a situation where you need to use that phrase and then don't joke about it ever <laughs> because um, yeah it's just not funny when <laughs> when you're in that situation and a problem arises where you need to use that phrase it's um, uh, you get that sinking feeling don't you when you're like oh crap <laughs> I think a lot of the time um the, it comes out perhaps more often actually in the editing process than it does in the, um, in the, in the on-set process. If you've identified a problem on-set and you sort of go, oh, that's all right, we'll fix it in post, you, you've normally still got the opportunity to fix it before post at that point in time. But it's when you identify a problem when you've already left the set, that's when, okay, we'll have to fix this in post comes out, you know, in, in, in a serious manner, so... Just as an example, strings. Strings are a thing that pull things in various special effects. And um, when we shot 
killer coat way back in 2009 was it 2009 yeah, yeah. um we we used a lot of sort of puppetry techniques with the coat to make it move you know independently and uh, that often involved tying strings to it and pulling it and um I chose in my naivety to use the same type of thread in all of the scenes that we shot and I chose to use fishing line. Now fishing line is a sort of semi-transparent slightly glossy nylon uh, which is is fine when you're shooting against a light background but if you're shooting against a dark background it has a tendency to catch the light and reflect and then you can see it and it's a problem. Um, So we did actually have um, one particular scene which was the strings were so obvious it was like you know watching thunderbirds um and i actually sat and manually deleted the scenes on photoshop for every single frame of the scene (laughs) and um that taught me a valuable lesson about having multiple different types of thread in my kit so that i can attach the right color to the object to um pull it along whatever kind of background i have we also ended up reshooting some extreme close-ups to replace wider shots simply because there were strings that were far too apparent and Mm. certainly in the chip shop the phrase fix it in the post at the time I think was uttered with sheer sincerity but there was certainly (laughs) an inexperience there I think certainly with that we we kind of thought that hey yeah just just you know rub out the strings in post how uh how difficult could that be? But <laughs> can you remember, Chrissy, roughly how many hours it took you to go through? Um, <laughs> the funny frame thing by is, frame? is that what was really frustrating about it is each individual frame looked fantastic. I was able to make each frame completely string free, but they didn't. After I deleted the strings, match up with each other. So then, instead of having a string, you had a sort of mottly, slightly creeping bit of carpet where the string used to be, because the the pixels were were not in the right places for between between frames, and it was actually incredibly mm. difficult to get rid of that effect. So you know, you're right. We looked at it and went, "Oh, it's really easy to delete the strings. You just do that in Photoshop. It's really easy." And it was really easy to delete the strings in Photoshop, but not in a moving image. I was going to say, before you had a go doing it, I had a go. Mm. And a lot of the time is making up things that you don't know what the original bit is. So behind some of the strings in the chip shop, they had pattern tiles, and you had to try and make out what the patterns were. Mm. You're kind of making them up from nothing, so you had to kind of try and create what was there, and you yeah. didn't know what was behind it. <laughs> I'm trying to think whether at that point uh, content-aware Phil existed. Um, I think, to be fair, I was working on a much... When I was doing the one against the carpet, which was the main one that mm. I worked on, um, the you could, like, highlight the whole string and do a content-aware fill, but it, it, it tended to be far less accurate than if you just picked out individual pixels and yeah. went along and just made it actually less obtrusive rather than invisible, which actually was, you know, rather than going on with a heavy hand and just deleting the whole thing, mm. it, was, it was about taking the bits where the string was catching the light and just making those bits less obvious, but yeah. then like maybe ignoring the bits in between where it wasn't quite so bad. So. I think one of the things that highlights really is that the phrase fix it in post, as, even as a joke, you know, and, and it's not even necessarily easy on a big Hollywood production, but certainly there's there's more of the, the money for the expertise and the people dedicated in that, in, in that area. When you're dealing with more low budget indie kind of productions, Fix it in post is definitely more of a risk. Shall we yeah, say. I'm sure if you had uh, you know supercomputers and so on, and there would be software that was purely designed to remove strings. But you know, <laughs> you know, when you're trying to do it sort of manually, it's much more difficult. 
So in hindsight, Christy, if you're in that situation again, uh, would you say it's quicker and easier to fix it in post or to uh, just reshoot the scene? Well, the thing is, I wouldn't necessarily... It's not actually a matter of reshooting this scene. What what actually needed to change there was I needed to have tested the different types of thread against the backgrounds we were going to be shooting up before we even started shooting. So that was about actually more about preparation than it was about reshooting something that had gone wrong. Um, I mean, okay, yes, we could have looked at it and gone, that didn't work, now we need to find an alternative. And it, it probably would have made sense to have done it, um, to, to have redone it. But I do think, you know, ultimately, it, the, the real solution would have been to have... Um, tested it beforehand however i think that also picks up the key thing about being able to redo it and one of the main reasons that fix it in post becomes a kind of phrase on indie low budget and that's time yeah reshooting something is definitely not something that you tend to have time to reshoot an entire scene and this is exactly why i've been testing those lights on the generator this week um mm so that we don't find out that uh, we get the terrible flickers um, on the night of the shoot. Mm. Um, it's definitely a case that fixed in post is a phrase used when there has been a lack of planning or, <laughs> or foresight. One thing I was wondering with your, um, with your lights, if you, with the flicker, could you hide that by, what I was thinking about was um, Victoriana... Um, like like flickering lantern shows, you know, like the the original sort of motion picture stuff, because it's all supposed to be a period piece. What if we could hide the flicker of the lighting in the flicker of the image, um, in terms of actually make it look more like something like a like a magic lantern kind of thing? I think the this is just I'm speculating here. Actually, <laughs> yeah. this actually is kind of on topic because this is actually addressing what solution could we find to Ben's problem that would be a fix-it-in-post solution, just as a, you know, hypothetical... See, the problem with that is it's a limited shoot, limited time, and you're never quite going to see if it works. And if you rely on that and it just doesn't work, you're in big trouble, and fixing it post will not be an option. Mm. Mm. It's quite a high-frequency flicker. Mm. Um, so while the, the flicker rate does vary slightly... Um, it's not the kind of flicker that uh, you could make look pretty um, or make look to kind of fit in. It's a sort of electronic, um, very fast kind of flicker. Is this going to, you know, cause epileptic fits, basically? Uh, it that kind of flicker? It's that kind of flicker, uh, yeah. Sorry. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> but I will find a way. Yay, yes, absolutely. And we will not be fixing it in post. Exactly. But it's, it's interesting because it actually sort of relates back to um, sort of other things where, where you're saying about, you know, it's a lack of planning. And it is often a case of not really realising how long things take and you learn it all, all along. Certainly I recall uh, on zombie vampires waiting around desperately for, for a branch so we could kill a, kill a vampire, which, you know, literally I think the paint was still wet or mm. something as, as it arrived and... Um, it's not so much that we fix in post, it's that we, we really struggled against the clock to make sure it worked on camera. But yeah, and that actually was um, something interesting. That, that was a, a lot more of a, mostly a lighting issue more than anything else. It was a, a, a lack or a lack thereof because we were sh shooting in daylight and obviously the daylight was rapidly fading. Um, Felix, what's your experience of like, we've obviously shot some things in the past where we've like tried to fake night for day mm. and day for night and so on. And um, What's your thoughts on, on the idea of actually lighting fixes in post? So trying to um, create an alternative kind of mood or an alternative, you know, effect with the lighting 
because you couldn't get that in the actual it shoot? It depends how far you go with it. I think if you... Um, some of the stuff we did on Gabriel Cushing, Stall of the Damned, um, some of the scenes we shot upstairs, they were kind of shot quite... Um, I don't know, quite warm, quite kind of regular lighting. And in post, I kind of cooled it down a bit. And once you start putting kind of like darkening around the edges, you can change the mood to an extent. But then that was kind of with it in mind in the first place. I mean, to change something dramatically, I think you'd have trouble doing that. But I think that was more of an enhancement and more of a, a, skew, a skewed kind of to that way rather than changing it completely. Yeah. I think with, with my thoughts on lighting have always been... Um sort of not from a videography sort of perspective, from a, from a photography um, perspective, um, is with digital enhancement of images, the data has to be there to manipulate it, doesn't it? So... Oh, yeah. I mean, if you underexpose something and it's black, then you can't get that back. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. so you know, there's, there's only so much, as you say, you can shift it within what you've got. To play yeah, and it depends time. what you're shooting on, what you're working with, you know, what you can kind of push and pull and stuff like that. Yeah. But do you think that the ease of fixing and post has kind of bred sloppy directors? Um, I, I don't think we've established as such that it is actually easy to fix things in post, but I think it is possibly um, tempting to hedge your bets. And by that, I mean, we'll shoot it this way because then we can tweak it this way or we can tweak it, you know, yeah. tweak it left or tweak it right, you know, tweak it, you know, cooler, tweak it warmer if it's lighting-wise mm. or we can say, OK, well, actually, we can crop it down, we can expand it, you know, maybe we don't have to get the framing quite right because we can adjust that in post. And that, I think, um, all of those changes are... They, they work, but, you know, does it mean that ultimately what you're doing is you're, you're not making that decision on set in the first place as to what you actually want and is that potentially undermining the quality of the piece that you're going to get from it? I think sometimes as well you may feel that you're forced into a corner with that decision on set depending what role you work in you know you may have a load of actors there you've, you're on set something's not going right you know that it's not going right but you don't want to let everyone know that you can't get on with what you're doing so you just get on with it you say you fix it and then you go off and whatever role you're working in you go and try and fix it and you can do that in your own time work it out but no one really has to know about it so I there's feel an like you have an that. example behind yeah. this no, no I've just seen it happen and I've, I've done it myself a couple of times but I've seen it happen yeah, I can imagine there's it's that pressure isn't it and that's part of it the pressure mm. to to get on and not have people standing around while you're trying to mm. fix something and um, you know solve a problem when you fix it in post is almost a case of okay that we need to move on now kind of yeah. thing but but if you can't fix it in post then there's no point at all you I know mean, what you're doing is is wasting your time do you think it's it's tempting as a director to say well actually i'll do it this way because then i have the option to fix it in post um you know to choose ways that give you more flexibility to, to manipulate the, the image afterwards it's tempting but i think that it can lead to a kind of mediocre approach as well. And actually one thing I've noticed, and sort of going back to what you said before, I think there's almost a sense that if you're working very low budget, the easy thing to do almost is to light everything in the most standard three-point lighting and then just manipulate the hell out of it, whether that's effective or not, whether, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a different question, but... That sort of um, digital post-production almost gives you the opportunity to do that for, for better or worse. 
But then if you're working on a pressured shoot and you haven't had time to plan it properly, you don't want to corner yourself into shooting someone with a massive hard shadow across their face and then afterwards you're in the edit and director says, why have they got shadow across their face and stuff like that. So it's it's a balance between kind of giving yourself options but not being... Really, it helps to know in advance what you're actually wanting to achieve. Because if if you're on set and you don't know what you want to achieve, Mm. then... No matter how many times you say fix it in post, yeah. it's going to turn out rubbish. Yeah. I think that actually um, makes you think about things that you absolutely cannot fix in post, that there is, mm. you know, all the digital technology in the world cannot fix. I think the, the prime example has to be choreography. If you have, like, for instance, a fight scene or a, a, a dance scene or, you know, something like that where you've got character movement that's very complex, um, there's no way on earth that you're going to be able to fix that in post if you haven't shot it you know, if you haven't choreographed it, you know, well in the first hand place and shot it to advantage, um, that choreography, um, you're not going to be able to patch that in any way. There's no way on earth that you can use any kind of digital, you know, post-production to fix those problems. It's never going to look, you know, right. In addition, think uh, not just choreography, but also either um, poor direction or alternatively un- uh, unresponsive actors. A very good example of a... Um, a film where they tried to fix it in post and it failed miserably is the film Blade Trinity, <laughs> where um, Wesley Snipes was um, not happy and therefore refused to shoot a lot of his stuff. And therefore, most of the stuff you sh- shot with him was um, static shots of him responding to the actors, going, hmm, yeah. And all the actors were having to work without him. So what ended up happening, he had conversations that felt entirely odd and peculiar because he had one actor that's doing all of this sort of conversation and crazy stuff and then going, hmm, and that was it. Though, to be fair, I don't blame him. That film <laughs> is terrible. <laughs> but um, actually, that's, it's kind of interesting, again, coming into that kind of... You, obviously, you can't affect performance. Well, you can affect performance. I've been editing recently... But it's only with the amount you've got, and this is sort of again, it's about coverage almost comes in if you're talking about fixing mistakes in post. Mm. And that's like if you've got loads of coverage and more cuts, on one hand, you've got more stuff you can use to sort of cut down any problems, on the other hand, you risk cutting too much and it takes a lot more time. Mm. So, whereas if you do too little, there's always the risk that if there is anything wrong or anything goes wrong, then you don't have the stuff to cover it. Mm. Um, and just one more thing about mm. the editing, actually. Um, you mentioned just now about cropping and doing things with images. I found myself actually doing that a few times, zooming in a little bit whilst editing and maybe cropping a little bit. But these aren't planned things. These are more things just to make it work a little better. So I, it's almost like the tools that we think of as fix it in post are things that we should, you, know, you should apply when you realise you need them in post, but they shouldn't be relied upon in advance really. I think the thing with um, the, the the cropping and the zooming and so on and so forth of an Im- a piece of image is um, if you're doing it by sort of like you know two or three percent or something like that that's tinkering and that's not going to make a massive difference you start doing it by 30 percent and you're suddenly going to start losing resolution and it's um, going to be obvious that you've suddenly gone from like 4k to you know half 4k um, and that sort of you know is something that you, you don't want to be in a position you don't want to put yourself in a position where you have to do that you know you want it to be a, a something that's a an informed decision you know i suppose in in a way um but no what i was gonna um go back a, a little bit to what we were talking about performance 
And uh, actually, I was going to mention about actors and the delivery of lines and, um, and the purpose of ADR. When ADR has to be approached, I think, as a technical um, process uh, in that you have to um, try and match the newly recorded dialogue to what's actually showing on the screen. Um, it's not an opportunity necessarily to change the performance. That I actually disagree with. Yeah. In the past, um, I focused very heavily on making sure that the ADR deliveries we get are um, repeats of what was said in order to capture the best performance. Um, however, I've recently watched a behind-the-scenes documentary about the sound recording on Australia, the um, uh, Baz Luhrmann film, and they were talking about basically delivery of lines they thought were in, was incorrect and actually redid it in the ADR. And it is quite a common thing. However, unless you have gone specifically into the D ADR recording knowing that this section needs to be changed, it is a technical process. You're wanting to get exactly the same delivery twice. I mean, if you're changing the delivery, you're always risking the idea that it's not going to look right with the visual capture, aren't you? Of course. So it's going to, that you're going to lose a certain amount of sync or... You know, something because the, the line doesn't match the movements. Yeah, it's a difficult one because there are some people who are of the opinion that it's a highly technical process and some people who say you are able to adjust things, adjust things in post when you review it back as an editor going, hmm, this doesn't seem quite right. Mm. It's quite interesting, obviously, we're talking a lot about sort of post-corrections and things that we discover... And, and then just sort of um, base, you know, not preparing in time. But it can happen that you can f be on set and suddenly a problem occurs, something mm. you haven't imagined, you couldn't have prepared for, there's a problem, time's ticking. And the question there really is, what do you do? What is the ideal solution then? Mm. You know, when, when Fix It in Post really becomes a kind of temptation at that point because you need to move on. I, th I think that all depends on what the problem is that's come up and what, what problem does it cause with the filming. Um, I mean, obviously, I think uh, we, we've discussed um, lighting issues being a problem like that, that instance in, in Zombie Vampires where we had the fading daylight and we mm. really needed to get that scene shot mm. that day and it was um, we were sort of racing against the sunset um, and we did have to sort of, you know, manipulate that image quite a bit to lighten it up afterwards. So, you know, that's, that's the, you know example of something that perhaps you can just say you know well, we'll just shoot what we can and we'll do what we can mm. with it and that sort of you know attitude of what well, you know if it's not usable we'll have to think of something else but at the moment there's nothing we can do to fix mm. it on set um you know i'm just trying to think of other examples of things that have come up in our experience mm. where there was nothing we could do to fix it on set but we sort of like got what we could with the idea of well, we'll see what we can do with it i think the, the more interesting question in a sense is kind of well Maybe there is something you can do with it, but it will take time. And then, then what do you do? I ask you guys, what do you think? You know, when the clock's ticking, you've got a problem that potentially could be a fix it in post situation, or you can try and fix it there, but that's going to really push behind your schedule. You know, it's pressure, isn't it? What do you think? I think the best thing to be is honest. First of all, uh, talk to everyone involved and and weigh up the situation. I mean. There's no point trying to deal with it on your own. You know, if there's a problem, talk with director, producer, whoever, and just just try and work it out and see what's best. I think it's down to specifics, to be honest. 
and ideally if the person who will be fixing it in post um, is on set um, obviously you know talk to them quite heavily about their ideas on how they think it if it's possible um, and what they think can be done uh, if they're not on set then get them on the phone um, certainly before kind of proceeding with any filming I think just kind of as soon as you realize there's a problem just kind of stop um, don't panic and just think it through logically and like Felix said, be honest and open with everyone around you. And, and if you all put your heads together, you can probably come up with a great solution. So um, well, one thing I think uh, is, to, to, to go back to what you were saying about the timing, pre time pressure on set, I think um, it's sometimes when you're in a, that time pressure situation, it's very easy to go, we haven't got time for it, we'll have to do it in post, you know, because you're yeah. panicking. In it. But sometimes it, it's worth going... You know, look, just look at this rationally. All we need to do is take a step back, change something very small and do another take and then we fix the problem. And sometimes it's worth taking that extra five, ten minutes on set to avoid what could ultimately end up being an in unrecoverable problem. Because you, what you don't know when you're in that situation on set is you can go... Okay, I've got a vague idea of how we could try and fix it on post. You don't know if it's going to work. You don't know if it's yeah. going to be successful. You don't know whether you're going to be able to find somebody with the right expertise or the, the budget to pay for something that needs to be done. You know, you might not even in that pressure situation really know whether it's possible at all. Mm. Um, you know, so you know, it's always I think even in the worst of situations worth going back and taking that extra bit of time if you can if you can possibly you know find that bit of time to yeah they, together. they pretty much that's pretty much the main advice i mean even you know bigger budget films the idea is if you find yourself saying you know or thinking the phrase fix it in post that's the point where you've got to stop and say no that's it's just not worth the risk mm. or the hassle you need to find a solution there and it can be difficult though it can be very difficult but is it exclusively, no, noting what's been said here, is it exclusively the producer's job to make sure that fix-it-in-post problems are resolved in a small indie crew? With a small-scale indie film team, I think it depends entirely on the dynamic of your team and, and who's pushing forward different parts of it. Because, I mean, um, take, for example, in Straw the Damned, we planned on set to have... Well, we didn't necessarily plan on set, but we... we we shot some some material on set that we we later decided really needed some some augmentation of some yeah. kind to really sell the idea of what was happening, um, and we made the decision to bring in a um, digital effects designer to create us some digital effects um, to layer over this section to make you know make it sort of go from looking weird to, to looking cool <laughs> you know i think was the main thing. but um and then in that um mark has been entirely responsible for organizing and pushing that forward mm. um you know i suppose in a way you are kind of producer director on on those mm. shorts anyway but my point being is that it, it doesn't necessarily have to be you, you will work out your dynamic within your mm. team don't you so and mm. with some of that is an interesting one because it's almost a not entirely planned through but vague idea that it's going to be something in post whereupon if you talk to the professionals they say well if you plan this beforehand you could do so much more of it and that's yeah. an inexperience meets preparation kind of I, issue I think that the main thing if we'd have decided what we wanted to do and brought somebody in to consult beforehand we probably would have shot the material differently as the backdrop for the effects sorry um, 
you know, so that that probably would have been different. I think in a way it was like we shot the material going, we'll put something on it. But we didn't at the time really know what that was going to be or how we were going to do it. It was just kind of like, well, so long as we've got material to go there, we can layer something on it somehow. And yeah, you're probably right. If we'd have um, done all of that planning in advance, we could have shot something specifically tailored to accept that material on top of it. That's a good um, example there of something that could have been an augmented in post and turned into a fixed in post. Yeah, a little bit. Just <laughs> Uh, but it also brings up the question as well, if you're kind of on set in that situation where something unexpected has come up and and you're thinking about, oh, let's just fix it in post, um, do you need to bring in third parties who have the skills and expertise to make that fix? And if so, do you have the budget for it? How much is it going to cost? What are the man hours that are going to um, be needed to put into that fix? And is it worth spending that money on the post fix or is it worth um, actually putting in that time and money into getting it right on set? Really, I think the time and money aspect is it's based entirely on when you wish to spend it. We want to spend it before you start a production, during the production or whether you're willing to spend it in post-production. That's actually a good point about money there, actually. And, um, and where your budget comes from with regards to how you apply this money to a problem. If you ha- prior to production starting, you normally have a fixed amount of money that you can spend up to the point where you start shooting that material. After that is an unknown quantity, and it's always possible to find more money from somewhere eventually. So I suppose there is a a certain way of looking at that going, well, you may not have it in your budget to fix it, to, you know, to do what you want to do on set. But if you can put it off for six months or during the next six months of post-production, you can scrape something together. You can then pay for the post-production fix. And I think that's... um, you know, that's something that, that I know has been in my mind in terms of um, not so much digital fixing, but shooting more material as a kind of post-production fixing. But you know, that we have, um, we've had additional shoots for Carnival Sorrows that have been quite a long time after the initial, you know, um, primary shoot, that we would never have been able to afford to do those if we'd have done them right off the back of the primary shoot, we wouldn't have had the money left over. So there's that. And equally, actually, that's sort of brings up a, another issue about time and problems and sometimes not fix it in post but it's also about the money that you were saying at the time like if you've got this idea that it could cost loads to do all this post or reshoot it later or whatever but equally do you just call it do you just say no it's not working now I think on one occasion at least we did try and shoot something where we should have just called it we didn't have the time, didn't have the resource, and we eventually ended up reshooting pretty much the entire scene anyway. So it's sort of that question of, do you have to sort of know when when something is going wrong enough to say, in the long term, it's going to be easy and cheaper to remount this another time? Mm. By uh, by any chance, was that one of the two AM scenes? Um, because uh, it always seems like you know if you're working on a film project and the day overruns and 2am you're still kind of desperately shooting to try and get everything in um those usually tend to be the scenes that either get cut or need to be reshot mm. well unless you need 
um, a certain style from your actors, for example, desperation or <laughs> stress or extreme tiredness. Well, I'm more thinking actors having to leave as well. Yeah. You know, time just time's running out and things need to. There's all sorts of reasons why you might come under yeah. pressure and delays occur. I mean, I know we we shot one particular um, very short scene for Mrs. Burrow Scully, which is one of the upcoming Gabriel Christian shorts. Um, we shot with a body double because we didn't have one of the actors, but it, it meant that we had to frame it in a really odd way. And, and then we also didn't have, you know, the, the full delivery of the lines that went with it. And then we couldn't get the actor back to do ADR to get those lines. And we ultimately looked at it and we went, cut the scene because it didn't need to be there it wasn't you know 100 percent you know required and we just we tried so hard to fix it in post as it were to mm. you know we tried to shoot what we could on set with the body double we tried to get the you know post recording of the sound and and it just it did, wouldn't come together and ultimately we just went you know what it's a lost cause just take get rid of it and, and actually it, it probably works better for it anyway so. no definitely and there are there are certain circumstances where sometimes it gets to that point and you realise it's not the most vital scene in the world and yeah. putting that much energy into it is it's not worth. Do you think that's ultimately the risk of, of fix it in post mentality is that ultimately something could spiral out of control and you, you could try, sort of try to fix this bit and trying to fix that bit and trying to fix another bit and it, ultimately you spend so much time and effort trying to fix all of these things that actually that, you know, undermines the whole thing overall. Yes. Certainly being on set um, when you're in this kind of situation where you're drastically overrunning um, and you get problem after problem coming up, um, you're in that pressure cooker environment where you kind of need to get everything done uh, no matter what. Mm. Um, and, you know, the work does suffer for it. And I think you're when you're in that environment, um, you know, you're under the pressure to complete what you've got planned to complete and that's kind of the time I think where you really need to take that step back and say hang on is this the most important scene is this the most important shot um you know do we need to be spending all of this time effort and everything into this shot or trying to fix it in post or and, and also perhaps is uh you know shooting something with the idea of fixing it in post perhaps you know being overly optimistic it's sort of like you can't get what you want so you'll get what you can and you'll try and fix it in post even if that's a bit of an over optimistic ambition to do that and sometimes you do have to think about the edit um certainly i can think on one production shooting a, a scene a scene twice having to remount it and eventually having the scene not even feature in the final in the final piece, so it's, which is a crazy thing of time and money. But it's one of those things. Sometimes it? it's about making those critical decisions with yourself and being honest, isn't it? But then being on set for each of those reshoots of that scene, um, it kind of felt like it really needed to be done, and you know, at the time it it did and. You do have that mentality on set of, um, you know, it, what you're doing is extremely vital. Um, I don't know, who would it turn to to kind of make that decision to kind of say, actually, you know, uh, maybe this scene isn't important or maybe we should just leave this and come back to it later? Oddly enough, that is actually, again, that this ties back into the indie low-budget filmmaking and, and ties that occur on set because I think... Purely in, in a filmmaking business with strict order, I think the producer's got to make that call. Mm. But if there's someone else who has a, a high kind of 
position or, or authority there, it becomes more difficult, def- definitely. And I think definitely there, there are times, I think, when, you know, the, the corners for many, it's not easy to make. Um, and one thing is, it's in these situations you're describing, the fray, and you're saying about the stress and stuff, certainly for the director, I think the, the phrase fix it in post almost acts as a pressure release valve. It's one of those things, it shouldn't, and it, it's not helpful in the long term, but at the time it almost becomes a, instead of trying to deal with it, you just fix it in post, releases that pressure a little bit and lets you move on, even though actually it's about putting a problem off. So often fixing it in post is not actually fixing it in post at all. So it's just not doing anything at all, just leaving it alone. Ah, so it suddenly all becomes clear now. So for directors and producers uh, who say fix it in post, it's a, a release and uh, a pleasurable thing because it's like, yes, we can move on. But for the people who are doing the, the post work, it's um, a phrase knives that kind of just... and eyes of some kind, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, shudders kind of don't even really come into it. And I think that's where I was coming from earlier when I said it's not funny. Um, mm. Don't ever say fix it in post. It's not a joke. Uh, coming from a, a post point of view. So, how far do you think you should go to fix something in post, literally, rather than just a release? Probably just to the point where you're about to tear your hair out, and then that's when you should just go. It's not worth it. I think um, something Felix said earlier about um, painting yourself into a corner. I think. Uh, a lot of the reasons um, you end up with material that needs fixing is, is kind of like that, actually. It's like it's that choice not to cut something on set because it's not working and to say, well, we'll shoot it anyway and we'll try and fix it in post. Um, you know, so you, that, I think that's the, the you know, because you don't want to make that decision not to have it because if you don't shoot anything, you've got nothing to work with. And I think in a way, sometimes the um, the the, the smarter decision is to say this isn't working we need to do something different or we need to not do it at all rather than we'll do it anyway and we'll try and fix it in post and i think um especially if it's a situation where you end up reshooting it anyway so i think in terms of how far should you go and as i said we're excluding anything which you have planned to augment in post-production on purpose um in terms of if something isn't working on set Really ask yourself, why isn't it working? And do you want to just completely change that? And this, there's a wonderful, wonderful actual Hollywood, although semi-low-budget, example of this. And since this is an October podcast, let us uh, turn our eyes to the greatest film ever made, Hellbound, Hellraiser <laughs> 2. Um, whereupon the sequence where the two main characters, Kirsty and Tiffany, are running through the hospital, having escaped hell, and hell is at their feet. Now... During this scene, um, there was meant to be a sequence where they come across a couple of doctors and nurses in in the hospital. Who are like, you know, what are you do? Who are you? What are you doing here? And then they transform into the villains, Pinhead and the female Cenobite, and the characters be like, "Eek! You transformed!" and run on. Now, this sequence is famous because pictures of them in of the Cenobites in their monster makeup features on the back of the VHS video release in the 80s but it's not in the film the scene doesn't wasn't there people like this famous deleted scene finally came out the scene was never shot because they got on set 
they got them in the doctors and nurses makeup in in the thing and they were trying to do the effects the effects weren't working Doug Bradley the actor who played the monster pointed out that even though he was meant to play in the doctor who turns into Pinhead he was also meant to be playing later Pinhead as a human which meant there was a weird contradiction would that be confusing for the audience seeing him twice in the film like that they actually just abandoned the scene they decided it wasn't working the on-set photographer took some pictures just to commemorate what they had done and they dropped the whole scene and this you know there was quite a lot of money behind it they'd done the makeup they'd done prosthetics they were there and they just decided it wasn't working and to let it go and then the image eventually found its way onto a video and for years people thought it existed. But it never did. And, and that's almost an example of just knowing where something isn't working, even though you've done effects work and everything. It, it certainly sounds like, um, you know, they, they took the time to kind of sit down and, and everyone kind of really talk about why it wasn't working and, and what they should do about it, rather than just doing that panic-stricken thing which happens on uh, a lot of indie productions where you're overworked, overstressed, tired, and you're just like, oh, just got to carry on, just soldier on. I think perhaps the, um, the, the moral to bring from that is actually it doesn't matter how far through you are producing something. If it's not working, you can always draw a line under it. You can always choose to axe it. It doesn't matter how far through you are. There's no point of no return at which you have to soldier on or you have to get something out of it or you have to you know, produce something that isn't what you wanted and use that in some way. There is no point at which that you cross that line. You can you can stop at any point and say, this isn't working, let's drop it. So. But I suppose that if it's your money that's on the line there, if you've invested the money into a particular prosthetic or an effect or a particular shoot in a particular location... When it comes to indie filmmaking, every well, it, penny counts. I didn't say it wasn't heartbreaking to do it. I just <laughs> oh, yeah. said it's no point. There's no point in which you, you you can always draw that line if you yeah. want, if you, if you choose to do it. I mean, sometimes it's the right thing to do to soldier on and get what you can because actually what you can might well be just what you need. But you know. And well, actually, this is interesting because when you sort of mention that, and it's almost it's interesting that whilst you might on the set feel it might be really traumatic and thinking about removing this. People deleting scenes while upsetting is a lot more accepting, you know, oh, we'll cut this scene in the actual edit, you know, it, there seems to be less... Well, it's a very pressure-filled environment on set and actually you're very, uh, you can be very precious about it. And also every decision mm. you make on set cannot be undone, whereas every decision you make in the editing mm. room, you can always redo that, you can always change your mind about that. That's And I think that makes a big difference. Anything you choose not to shoot, that's gone mm. forever, you cannot undo that decision. But at the same time, monetary-wise, when you mm. think about it, it's still the same amount of money that you put in and or whatever, and yeah. you make that scene and you've lost it and deleted it and it's gone. In a way, it almost, um, if you have a scene that isn't working on set, you know, any point in time, the, the most expensive point in time to cut it is after it's finished. Yeah. Because actually, any time you cut it before, then you've saved something. So, mm. you know, something to bear in mind, maybe. Okay. So, I guess that about wraps it up for this episode of Breakout. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our discussion. And if you have any thoughts on this topic, be sure to leave your comments on our website, on our Facebook page, or feel free to shoot us an email. Also, if you like what you're hearing, please rate us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening, and so for myself, Mark, Chrissy, Ben, and Felix, let's bye for now. Bye. Bye. bye.